1 Samuel 23 and verse 29. And David went up from thence and dwelt in strongholds at En Gedi. The strongholds, these are um, mountains, uh, rocky places, uh, high places, easy to defend. And Daniel or David is there hiding in caves and fleeing from Saul, who wants to kill him. And it came to pass, in chapter 24, verse 1, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats. Those are the sheep folds where they kept sheep in the lowlands down by the shore of the Dead Sea. By the way, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. It came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants. You see, they said, This is the time, David. You can kill Saul. He's at a disadvantage. He's here in this cave. You can kill him and, and you can be the king. And you can take what is rightly, rightly yours. Uh, but they wanted him to take something that was, that was right, but do it in a wrong way. And David said, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. He's still the king. And I won't kill him. And so he cut off a piece of his robe at the bottom. And uh, then he felt bad about doing that because David had such a sensitive conscience. And so David stayed his servants. You know, they, they might have thought, well, we'll just kill him for you. We'll do the job for you and take care of it. And you don't have to worry about having a bad conscience. But David kept his servants from killing the man uh, and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. We'll end our reading there. Again, dealing with difficult people. That's our subject for this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Our gracious, and loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you as our creator God, Lord, as our sustainer and as our redeemer, the lover of our souls. Lord, you've given a promise in scripture all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that you would send forth the seed of the woman, that he would be the Messiah, the savior of the world, and that Lord, he would come and undo everything that Satan did with uh, causing Adam to disobey in the garden and plunging the human race into sin. Lord, that you would come and you would save us from our sins. You'd save us from the penalty of our sins, the power of our sins eventually, and, and the presence of our sins. And Lord, I thank you for that. Father, uh, as we look at Scripture and go through all these passages, help us to do it with a worshipful eye and heart as we look for our Savior. Just all through the pages of Scripture, how you fulfilled this promise, and all the way up until uh, the, the day of uh, we call Christmas, in which we worship your Son's birth, and remember that. 
Father, I pray that you'd bless that this Christmas season and bless your people and help us. Pray for the health of this church. Pray for the ongoing work of the ministry here, that the gospel would continue with us and that you'd bless. And Lord, what we need, uh, God, how we need it, is we need personal revival. Lord, how we need you to work in the hearts of your people and help us. Help us with all of our great needs. God, we thank you for those that have been uh, joined together with us once again in fellowship and that we have this place to meet in and the freedoms that we have to enjoy. We pray that you have mercy upon this land, God, and we pray for our president, for our leaders. We pray for their salvation. And God, uh, we pray that you'd give them wisdom. I know that the heart of the king is, is in your hand, whether they're saved or not, and that, Lord, you're in control of everything. So I pray that you give them wisdom as they lead this nation. And God, I pray that our country would continue to stand as an ally to Israel. Bless your people in, in Israel. Uh, bless them with peace and an end to this war. And Father, with uh, their enemies being removed uh, from their land. And Lord, we, we know that all of these things will be settled when you come back. And so we pray, even so, come Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So in this account of David's life, we actually learn three ways that he dealt with a very difficult person. He dealt with Saul. And Saul was the reigning king at the time. He was still on the throne. And uh, little David, just as a boy, uh, impressed the children of Israel with uh, his ability to be able to take out uh, Goliath, this formidable foe, this, this giant of a man. Uh, all of Israel was afraid of Goliath. Saul was afraid of Goliath. No one would step forth to contend with this man, but David did. And after David took out Goliath, you know, I just read that the other night with, with Lucas and read that story about that and, and uh, had, a, had a talk with him, you know, about uh, about hurting other people, you know, and I said, the only time you can use these to hurt someone else, because we've been teaching him how to box and stuff a little bit, and that was a lot of fun over Thanksgiving, but anyways, uh, I said, the only time you can use these is to protect a girl or to protect your mommy, and uh, that's the only time you can use them. You cannot go hitting kids at school, and we talked about that, but you see in the Bible, you see heroes taking people out. And I said, now, if you, you know, soldier, and you're protecting your country, you're allowed to hurt other people and kill other people. And we talked about those things together. And, and you know, in the Bible, we see these guys and they're heroes and uh, we admire them, but not as much as the people during David's time admired them. Think of that. Uh, David, he quickly rose to fame. And after defeating Goliath, Saul gave him a place in his army and put him in charge over soldiers. And, and, he's, and David led those soldiers out to battle and just one victory after another. And uh, David would come in and the people would say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. They were basically saying David is ten times the soldier and the military leader that Saul is. And Saul grew jealous. You know, we know the story, right? Saul grew insanely jealous and fearful of David. Jealousy turned to fear and fear turned to anger and murderous thoughts. And so Saul has been chasing David all over the countryside, trying to kill him. Uh, and then he knew that he was working against God's will. But those, those bad decisions and those, those unhealthy feelings that Saul had, he allowed them to continue, allowed them to fester. And Saul was just doing worse and worse things. Yet David would not touch him. Because he was the Lord's anointed. 
David was a godly man. He knew that Saul had been anointed with oil, which was just a visible way of saying God has chosen him to be king and he's in the position of leadership over us. And David would not touch him for that. David wouldn't touch him because it was Jonathan, his best friend's dad, you know. So David was a godly man. He was a principled man. He was a, he was a good man. And, and, and he dealt with Saul in a way here that I think is impressive. And I thought we could learn something from it about how to deal with uh, conflict, you know. In life, we're going to deal with conflict. It's unavoidable. You're going to have conflict. We're going to have conflict within the church. You're going to have conflict in the workplace, in a place of business. You're going to have conflict in your family. You're going to have conflicts in your marriage. Uh, You'll have conflicts in the political sphere and all of those things. And you know what? It's just unavoidable, right? You're not going to get away from it. Not in this life. Not in this world. You're not going to get rid of conflict. And I'll say something else about it. It's not always wrong. It's not always wrong to have a disagreement, to have an argument, to have a debate. It's not always wrong. If it were always wrong, then we'd have to say that Jesus was wrong for entering into conflicts during his ministry. We would have to say that Paul was wrong for having conflicts, disagreements, fallings out. We would have to say that Peter was wrong. We would have to say that all in the men in the Bible that are godly examples were wrong because there's conflict from the beginning to the very end. There's actually a conflict between God and the devil himself. So it's not always wrong, but the way that we handle it sometimes might be wrong. And so we can learn some things from David here. And my first point is found in verse 17. Notice there in verse 17, he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. You see, when Saul came into the cave in En Gedi, David rewarded good for evil. Saul had been nothing but evil to David since the very beginning. Saul was jealous of him. Saul chucked a spear at him one time, tried to kill him with a spear. And David was just sitting there, just playing on his harp, trying to be a blessing to Saul. And Saul stood up and just did something just completely unreasonable, unrational. Threw a spear at him, tried to kill the kid right there in his own, in his own uh, castle, in his own house. Tried to kill him. You know, Saul was a, a passionate man. He was a man who was not in control of his emotions. And he would not deal with his emotions. And uh, he, he was just evil to David. He just following David around, trying to kill him, lying about him, everything else, trying to deceive him. But David, instead of rewarding evil for evil and getting paybacks, you know, getting revenge, David rewarded him with Good, because Saul was, he was coming through the lowlands there, you know, around the Dead Sea and was on the uh, western side of the Dead Sea and going through the area of the, the sheep coats where the sheep herders were down low. And Saul went up and ascended that mountainous ridge there along the Dead Sea to the place where the goats were. The sheep are down in the lowland, the goats are up in the high uh, country. And in Gedi actually means the spring of the kid, which is a young goat. It was a place where uh, goats dwelt. 
and there was a spring there. And <clears throat> this, was a, this was an arid place, hot place, a, uh, a place where if you go without water, you, you could, you could uh, lose your life trying to travel around that place. And so En Gedi actually had a natural spring coming out of there. And it was a place where there was a civilization uh, south of this spring by the Dead Sea. There was a small civilization there. It watered the, the plain there around the Dead Sea. And, and it, was a, it was a place where people knew that you could go up into that area and you could hide. Where, where the actual caves were and the, and the spring and the source of the spring, it was up high and it was about 600 feet above the Dead Sea. You could stand up there and imagine looking down 600 feet and seeing the Dead Sea below you. And, and from that point, you could see anybody who was approaching your position. David was up there. He was hiding in one of those caves with his men. He had probably men uh, Guarding and, and pulling watch and, and just viewing the, the, uh, the, the shoreline down below and looking for Saul and for his men. And they saw him coming. They had the advantage. And as they were uh, entering up into that uh, mountainous area, they, they could have planned an attack and taken Saul out. And then, imagine David says, no, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to attack him. I'm just hiding from him. David hides in, in a cave. And then imagine the, the amazement on David's face when all of a sudden Saul walks into the very cave where David and his men are hiding. And, and David thinks, there's the man who's trying to kill me. And he walks in alone. My, he's got the advantage now. They're in a dark cave, and, and Saul comes in there, it says, to cover his feet. Now, new Bible translators will tell you that the interpretation of that is that he came in there to use the bathroom. That's a euphemism for relieving himself and using the bathroom. That's what the new interpreters say. What old interpretations said of this passage is that he came in there to cover his feet. He came in there to rest. He came in there to sleep. And you say, which one do you take? Well, to cover his feet is an exact literal interpretation of the Hebrew. Word for word. That's what it says in the Hebrew. To cover his feet. That's what it says in the English. I don't need to know Hebrew. I see it right there in the English. And what he did was he came in there to sleep. That's what I think. Uh, because I've, I've done a little bit of soldiering and being out in, in, uh, out in the woods and and living like a soldier lives, and if I'm in a vulnerable position like that of relieving myself, I'm very aware of my surroundings. And someone walking around in a dark cave, you know, tripping on rocks and moving, moving sand and things around in there, uh, I'm going to hear that. I'm going to hear that. But what I think he was doing is I think he was sleeping, although we cannot know that for absolute certain. But I think he was sleeping. That's the only way that David could have lifted up a part of his robe and then cut off the edge of it. But David had the advantage. He could have killed the man. It would have been easy. And it would have been a shameful death for the man. He could have taken out his enemy, but he didn't. He rewarded him good for evil. Now what is it called when you do good to someone who is being evil to you? What's that called? It's called... No good deed. Yeah, it's true. It's true because later on his good deed ends up, you know, causing him more trouble. 
But uh, that's true in this life. But when you, when you do good to someone who did evil to you, what's that called? It's called mercy or kindness. You know, mercy is when you don't give someone what they deserve. It's a negative thing. They deserve it. Saul deserved it. But you don't give someone what they deserve. That's mercy. Or just another way to put it is just kindness. David was a kind man. You see, he, he, uh, he said, look in verse uh, 4. The men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto him. They said, Behold, David. He wasn't in there alone. He had his men in there. And they said, Behold, the man himself came walking into your cave. Surely this is God's hand. He has delivered your enemy, saying this, I assume, after, after Saul fell asleep. And David said, no. He was a principled man. He said, no, I won't. I won't do it. And they said, do what shall seem good unto thee. Now, what, 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 to David, what seemed good? What seemed good? Well, not to kill him. That didn't seem good to David. It didn't seem good to David to return evil for evil, even though Saul tried to kill him on several occasions. That didn't seem good to David. What seemed good to David, what he did was to reward good for evil, just like Saul said in verse 17. You rewarded me good for evil. That was just the kind of man that David was. And a kind person is known by their deeds. Do you think that you're a kind person? You. Do you think you're a kind person? Would other people say that about you? Do other people think that you're a kind person? That you're merciful? Do you believe that God thinks you're a kind person? I mean, He knows, right? He knows everything. There's nothing that God can't see. Do you think God thinks that about you? You know, I, I, I was talking with, with Beth about this last night, like I often do with my messages. And I said, you know, what if we were to think of five kind things that we did last week? Could you make a list? Maybe you, maybe you might try it this afternoon. I believe Sundays should be spent thinking about God and worshiping God entirely. Sundays should be completely set aside for the worship of God, for the reading of His Word, for meditating on it, for learning. Uh, I think Sundays are a day of worship. That's, that's the reason why we have two services, a morning and an evening, on Sundays. So we begin the day together, end the day together, if at all possible. That's why we do that. There's a reason for that. But I, I think that one of the good things that you could do this afternoon... and Something that I want to do and something I want to talk with Lucas about is five kind things that we did last week. Now, for the women in here, it won't take long, right? Especially with Thanksgiving week, it won't take long. For the guys, it might be a little bit harder. But you know what? Sit down and think about it. You'll, you might be surprised because I thought, I don't know. might be surprised. But here's a question. Will you keep doing them? Will you keep doing kind things? 
no matter what happens to you? No matter, and we say no matter what life brings. Come on now, you're not a secularist. You're not an evolutionist. Life doesn't bring things. God brings things. God permits. God has a permissive will and he has a directive will. Not everything that happens in your life is the directive will of God, but everything that happens in your life, if it's not directive, God has permitted it. God has allowed it. There's nothing that can come into your life that God has not allowed. But no matter what happens in your life, will you continue to be kind? Because life has a way of making us rough, of hardening us, of wearing us down, doesn't it? Life can be just as rugged as the terrain that David was on up in those rocky slopes. Life can be rough. Will you keep being kind? If you've been unkind, could you make a list of five unkind things that you did last week? Might, might sit down and try to think, what have I done that was unkind? And probably that would warrant an apology. Can you think of something that you've done that's unkind? Maybe five things. And if you did, are you going to keep doing those things? You know, uh, I, uh, I think it would be a good exercise. What does Jesus say about kindness? What does Jesus say about our enemies? Saul was David's enemy. Jesus says to love our enemies, right? Jesus says, uh, love your neighbor. Now, are all of your neighbors good people? (laughs) Do all of them do you good? Some of them are evil and do evil to you, right? But we're told to love our neighbors. Now, uh, David rewarded good for evil. Maybe there's somebody, you know, that you could follow this example of David. The next thing I see here is that David dealt with Saul with some wisdom, and he did it by talking to Saul. Notice in verse 8, David also arose afterward. He went out of the cave. So after Saul left, David waited for Saul and his men to get some distance between them. And then David went out of the cave, and then David cried after Saul, saying, so he communicated with Saul. He said, My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. David spoke with Saul. He he made an effort to try to resolve the conflict, to do something about it. And one of the ways that we can do that and deal with uh, conflict is by communication, by speaking with people. So David, he came out of the cave, really, and endangered his life. Because Saul is still there, his armies are still there. Now David discovers his position. He makes himself vulnerable, and he puts his hands into the life. Into the, he puts his life into the hands of the Lord and trusts the Lord to protect him and fulfill the promise that God gave to David that he would be the king, that he would sit on the throne. So David trusted all of that. He came out of the cave and he said to Saul, "He said to Saul, Saul, I could have killed you. I could have killed you." And he showed him this piece of Saul's robe that he had as proof that he could have taken not just a piece from Saul's robe, he could have taken Saul's life. So David obviously meant good for this man. 
And that was proof of it. David said, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I could have put forth my hand against you, he says in in verse 10. And I could have taken your life, but I didn't because you're the Lord's anointed. So David speaks with Saul, but notice how he speaks with him. He speaks humbly. In verse 8, at the end, he stooped with his face to the earth and he bowed himself to humble himself before Saul because Saul was the anointed of the Lord. So David was humble in the way that he approached him. When he talked to him, it wasn't out of anger. It wasn't to make a big show or to humiliate Saul. He didn't want to humiliate him, even though taking that part from his, his, his uh, robe was humiliating for a king. Even though he did that, but Saul decided to go ahead and take it and to allow himself to be humiliated a little. But uh, David didn't want to do that. No, David, by going down on his face, he humbled himself and he said, I acknowledge that you are the Lord's anointed. You are the king and I am under subjection to you. And I acknowledge that. And so David humbled himself. He, in verse 14, after whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. That's the way that Goliath spoke to David. So he, he was humbling himself. And that's the way we need to approach people. Difficult people, people that we're in a conflict with. Maybe there's just a difficult situation. Maybe they're not difficult, but it's a difficult situation of some kind. How do we approach them? In humility. And we do not bat a thousand on this. None of us do. None of us do. I'd be the first to admit it. We have a sin nature. And every once in a while, it rears its ugly head. And it's so easy for us to be arrogant and to be prideful. But we have to remember when we're talking, especially to one another, to other Christians, you're talking to the Lord's anointed. You're talking to a child of God. You remember that when you withhold forgiveness, when you hold a grudge, something petty. Remember that. You're dealing with a child of God. What we ought to seek is we ought to seek to communicate, to try to work things out. That's one of the ways that you deal with conflict, but don't do it with arrogance. Do it in humility. And if you're wrong, say you're wrong. He, he didn't only do it with humility, he did it with honesty. Notice in verse 10, yes, he was humbling himself, but he did not avoid the, the issue. He was honest about it. He was open. Verse 10, Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eye spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth my hand. He was just honest about it, about the situation. He just, he spoke about the, you know, the elephant in the room. He's just honest. He said, look, I know there's a problem between me and you. I know there's a conflict. So he's, so he's, he's talking about it honestly, and he's talking about what he could have done and why he didn't do it, and so on and so forth. You know, a person who does this, who speaks to another person that they're having a problem with, um, and if they, if they do it humbly, they, that means that they have a desire for peace. A desire for peace. And if they do it with arrogance, then they have more of a desire for personal victory. They want to be the one that's right. Am I, am I not right? So you either have a desire for peace 
or you have a desire for personal victory. David was not searching for personal victory. You know what David wanted? David wanted God to get the glory in the whole thing. And he wanted peace between somebody that he had problems with. There's many, many weapons in the Bible. You know, there's... You think about the life of David, you got the sling. And I've seen, uh, I've heard of, and I've seen people use the sling, but I've heard that there are people on YouTube that can use that sling and, and break the sound barrier. I don't know if that's true or not, but you can find people on YouTube that use these slings just like David did and whirl that thing around and, and shoot that thing, and they're accurate with it, with deadly accuracy with that sling. There's people that do that today. You know, you have the sling, you have... The bow and arrow, there are uh, clubs in the Bible, there are knives. One time uh, uh, someone used a rock to kill someone, uh, several times. There are swords, um, spears, there are the, there's the shepherd's rod, that's used as a weapon to defend the sheep from uh, predators. And you know there's another weapon in the Bible that we don't think about too much. I want to read to you from Psalm 64. It's the weapon of the tongue. We don't think about that one as much. Psalm 64 verse 3 says, Who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. The tongue can be used like a weapon to tear people down. Some of you might have heard it at Thanksgiving in a in a subtle form, a form of sarcasm. You ever, uh, you know anybody in your family that's sarcastic? They're good at putting people down, but kind of like in a way where you don't, you don't pick up on it right away. Maybe some people do, and they not, you know, wink at the pe- the other people. They're good at being sarcastic to tear someone else down, to humiliate someone, to hurt them. Uh, a tongue can be used against people in saying things that they will never forget. You know, you can say things to a child, you know this, and you've maybe experienced as a child, someone said something to you, and you never forgot it. And it hurt you. And they never apologized. And something you just, you have, it's been years, and you still remember it. That's the power of the tongue to hurt people. And you know, uh, there's another one, Proverbs 12, 18 Another great verse about the tongue. It says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. You can either use your tongue to hurt people or to help them. You can either cause death with the tongue or or heart sickness, or you can cause health. With the tongue. Which one are you? Are you a kind person? Do people know you to be a kind person? Do you think that God believes that you're a kind person? What do you do with your tongue? What did you do with your tongue last week? You know, those are the things that we should think about through all this. The tongue is likened to a sword, it's likened to a spear, it's because it can be a hurtful thing. And, and, and sadly, Christians use their tongues against each other. And when you do that, you're talking about God's anointed. You're talking about God's children. 
Lastly, David handled this difficult man uh, with some wisdom here. He kept his distance. Verse 22. At the end of chapter 24, verse 22, David swore unto Saul. So they, they fixed things up. They communicated. They came to some kind of resolution. And they fixed things up. But David didn't trust Saul. He still didn't trust him. David swore unto Saul. I won't kill you and your family if I become king. And Saul went home, but David and his men got them up into the hold. Imagine Saul descending that 600-foot elevation uh, down to the shoreline of the Dead Sea, going north about 32 miles back to Jerusalem, uh, I assume. And, and David, you know what he did? He went right back up into the rocks, right back up into the cave, and just waited. Because David did not trust Saul. But you know what he did? He kept his distance from him. Not just here, but he continued to do that. He kept Saul at a distance because Saul seems to be sorry, seems to be remorseful, but we find out that he really wasn't. It was really short-lived. And so David, he did the wise thing to avoid any further problems. Hopefully, I will just try to avoid the man and avoid contact with him. You know, that's biblical that's a biblical principle to do that, to avoid contact with people. In the church, if we have someone who causes dissension, division, uh, contention, causes problems in the church, and, and splits the church with their tongue, what are you supposed to do with them or with their actions? What are you supposed to do? Well, Romans 16, 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. Mark them. You say, that's, that's the person that's contentious and causes problems and is causing divisions and causing people to leave. That's the person. Mark them. And then what do you do? Causes divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. Keep a distance. Mark them and avoid them. Do what David did. David kept his distance from Saul. But you know what? It's not always possible to keep your distance. What if you work with this person? What if you live with this person? Um, what if they are in your family and you've got to go see them again at Christmas? You can't always avoid them. What do you do? Well, 2 Timothy 2.24. A good verse to think about if, if this speaks to you today. As the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. You know what I take from that? The servant of the Lord is not supposed to strive. Not supposed to be in an ongoing quarrel or an argument, just slinging mud at each other. Not supposed to do that. Don't strive with people. And he's talking about all men, whoever it might be, but be gentle. So as servants of the Lord, we're supposed to be gentle toward all men, and we're supposed to be patient. Gentle and patient. Keep your distance. It's not always possible. So what do you do when it's not possible? Well, again, if you're handling this with the same heart that David is, and I know that's your desire then you, your desire is to have peace more than personal victory. Your desire is to, to communicate 
and try to compromise, if at all possible, try to find some common ground that you all can work out and say, look, we both want the same thing here. And uh, just be okay if somebody doesn't agree with you and doesn't like you. Just be okay with it. If you've been wronged, suffer the wrong. That's New Testament. That's biblical. David did that too. He suffered the wrong. Just suffer it. Just suffer it and just let yourself be wrong. You're doing all of those things. But what if you just can't avoid the person? They're going to be there on Monday morning when you show up to work. They're going to be there at Christmas. They're going to be there. What do you do? I think a good idea is to bring in a third party. To bring in somebody else. Tell them about the situation. They're like a mediator. You're seeking peace, right? You say, why should I care? What they did was wrong. Why should I care? I'll tell you why. Because you're supposed to be a witness. You're supposed to be a witness. If you don't get it right, they're going to hold you to a higher standard because you're a Christian. You say, that's not fair. They're still going to do it. They're going to hold you to a higher standard because you go to church. And you're a witness to them. So you should seek peace. And if the way to do that is to get a third party in there, then do it. And get a third party in there. And then when you're talking about the conflict, you don't talk about the person. You talk about the problem. Don't talk about the person and what they did and their shortcomings and how unkind they are. Talk about the problem. And have the third party help. And it might be resolved. It might be a bully in school that's bullying a child. It might be somebody at work that you can't avoid. Well, you need to do something about the situation. Bring in a manager. Bring in a supervisor. See if it'll help if you have one that's worth anything at all. And see if that'll help with the situation. Uh, And then uh, if, if nothing else, just don't strive. Be peaceful. Be patient. But it doesn't mean that you have to be a doormat. It doesn't mean that you have to be a doormat. Remember, David was honest. But what you have to do, and I say if everything else fails, what should you do? You should have been praying. We should pray through these things. But continue to pray for the person that you're having a conflict with. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You know what? I want to be known as a kind person. And I'm still learning, I'm still growing. I don't know about you. But I want to be known as a kind person. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, uh, folks, I, I, I take this time in the service just so that we can respond to the Word of God. What you've heard this morning was you've heard some principles brought out of the Word of God that are right there in the Scripture, just right there on the surface. You can see it. You can see how kind of a man that David was. And uh, I'm applying these to our lives. Maybe the Lord gave you something else in there that I didn't see. But this is a time for us to respond to what God has said to us through the preaching of the Word of God and through the Word. How will you respond? I'm going to say a prayer in just a moment. You know, we can... We can be kind in different ways. We can be kind with the things that we say. 
Maybe you're good at being kind with the things that you do, but you don't really focus on being kind with the things that you say as much. Or maybe you're kind with the things that you say, but you really don't put yourself out there to serve other people and you think, maybe I could be more kind with the things that I do. Maybe, how, maybe God's spoken to you about that. And you say, this week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on purposefully trying to be kind with my words. This week I'm going to purposefully be kind with the things that I do. God's put something on my heart and somebody he wants me to be kind to and I'm going to do that this week. This is the time to respond to the Word of God. This is just between you and Him. My job is to try to bring us into a close relationship with the Lord and to try to preach against anything that would hinder that close relationship. But your job is to respond this morning. How has God spoken to your heart? Lord, as we close this service, we're so thankful for Your Word. Thankful that you've given us the Old Testament for our learning, for our admonition. And God, we see in the life of David at this time, a kind man, a patient man. And uh, this was just one point in his life. And I know later on he's going to struggle and his faith is going to be tested severely. But at this time he did the right thing and it's a good example for us to learn from. And I pray that you'd help us, God. Forgive us for where we are unkind Help us to have the courage to go and to communicate with those that maybe we're having a problem with, to do it in the spirit of humility and honesty, and in the spirit of in the tone of the scriptures. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to make apologies where apologies need to be made and to mend things. And I pray for your spirit to bless the relationships in this church. That Lord, uh, we might be able to have a, a happy fellowship and happy communion with each other. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless our families and our workplaces. Maybe as I said these words, that there was a, someone thought of a, a co-worker or a, or a child or a parent or, or maybe someone that they're involved with in a, in a voluntary, uh, voluntary role. Uh, Lord, maybe someone within the church. And I pray that you would bless in that situation, bless with peace and uh, and. Help, help us as we try to resolve these things and make us a good witness, Lord. Help us to be obedient to you in these things. And this we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake. Amen.